0: Good morning, good morning. How are you guys feeling? Good? Great. Liz just wanted me to mention that for those that, are, that have been giving food, that all your Tupperwares are returned and are in the kitchen. And so if you could go and uh, locate yours and, and grab your Tupperware, uh, that would be great. All right. We have a lot going on today, and so I don't want to take too much time here today. But we're in our series, Spiritual Disciplines. For those that have been joining us or, or have been following us online, uh, we are in our fourth week. We went through prayer, fasting. Last week, Eugene gave a message on meditation, and today is that partner, uh, sermon that is on study. Like I, we've, we've been talking about how a lot of the spiritual disciplines are not segmented like the way that we are, we're teaching it. That most of the spiritual disciplines actually work hand in hand together and actually happen at the same time. We're just separating it so that you could understand that there are different uh, things that you could do as you are growing in your walk and growing in your faith with Jesus Christ. And so for us, when we separate these things, it's not for you to do independently, although some of the things that you can do independently, but it is to be done together. Uh, our, our, our spirituality isn't as compartmentalized as we like to do it in, in Western theology, right? It's, there's more fluidity to it. There's more uh, natural rhythm in, in how we actually do things and how we approach things. So, it's the new year, January, right? Many of us probably in the beginning of the year, we... us. It's February. You know I have kids when it's time just, just goes and I don't even know what day it is. I need a break, guys. After this afternoon, I could take a break, right? Right? Okay, good. do But in the beginning of the year, you try <laughs> you started your new year wanting to be healthier, right? Most of us have that resolution. It's like, I want to be healthier this year. I want to eat healthier. I want to have less processed food, more healthy food. Uh, and very quickly, we find that the things that are healthy and that are good for you have a tendency to taste not so good. And the things that are not so healthy have the tendency to taste better. It's saltier, it's sweeter, it's easier to get. The things that taste good usually have a higher sugar content, more preservatives, more unknown ingredients. Whereas the healthier option often tastes more bland. The worst thing is that the things that are bad seem to be everywhere and readily available, even accessible through drive-through. Well the things which are good for you you have to go out of your way to find, to hunt it down, and oftentimes it actually even costs more. How often do you have a craving for carrot sticks or <laughs> celery? But how often do you have a craving for like a burger or fries? You know what I mean? You'll find that this is also true in our spirituality. That the things that are bad for you, for your soul, are very easily accessible and you can find everywhere. And it often serves as a distraction for you to do what is good. We could feel we could feed our soul and our fleshly appetite so easily from TVs to our social media or apps on our phones to surfing the internet, to listening to the radio, or even gossiping with your friends, family, and coworkers. In contrast to feeding our souls, it takes more discipline and more intentionality. The purpose of spiritual formations is just that. It is being more intentional about our relationship with God and with the church. It is forming our hearts to be more aligned with God's heart and it's developing our character. And to do that, we need something to lead and guide us and to know the heart of God. The end goal for spiritual formation is transformation and restoring our soul. In Psalms 19 verse 7, it says the law of the Lord is perfect for restoring the soul. It's taking our destructive habits of thought and replacing it with the new life-giving habits. It's a renewal of the mind that our minds by applying things that will transform it. So today as we continue in our series of discipline, the renewal of the mind is about the discipline of study. Like I said last week, Eugene brought us a message on meditating and, on, and today you'll find that, that there are a lot of parallels uh, in study as in with meditation. Meditation's purpose is to persuade and entice the heart, whereas study educates and convinces the mind. Like all our disciplines, it requires learning and growing in it, and particularly for this one, you'll, you'll find it, it's actually harder and even sometimes more laborious. But as we grow in our proficiency in it, out of it, I hope that you find joy. That's what study usually produces. It produces joy. Alexander Pope says, there is no study that is not capable of delighting us after a little application to it. Let's pray. Father God, it is with great thankfulness that we have the ability to come to know your word, to grow in the knowledge of who you are. Father, we also ask for your spirit to bring understanding to our lives so that we can live a life that is abundant through your word. Lord, may it transform and restore us to a relationship that we so desperately need. Father, we long for your presence. Holy Spirit, come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we look at humanity today, we see many people under the bondage of fears and anxiety. This is something that we've talked about quite quite often. Many of us fail to see that what perpetuates these fears and anxieties is the access to what feeds these things. From the technology we have, the quick and easy access to information, to things that will take over our time, like doom scrolling. I'm a victim to that as well. For those that don't know what doom scrolling is, you probably don't have Instagram or TikTok. But these feeds literally feed our souls with content that feed into the... F- fears, and the anxieties that we experience. Oftentimes, these things take no intentionality or discipline to jump on, and before you know it, you've wasted hours on our devices. When we look at our struggle with fear and anxiety, we stand there feeling defeated and enslaved. We don't have joy in our life with Jesus and struggle to live a life of obedience. So we look at our spiritual Christian life, we say, you know what? I go to church, I serve in church, I worship, I try to obey and I try to submit my life and even encounter God through his spirit. But yet I find myself where my life remains for the most part unchanged. Why? Because we have not taken up or placed in our minds and in our hearts the central thing that God uses to change us and that is to study And to know the word of God. The knowledge of truth is what study is. Jesus says in John 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In the early church, persecution is breaking out, right? We'll find this story in Acts chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Acts chapter 8. If you have your phones, pull up your phone. Actually, you know what? I'm going to read this better than summarizing it because it's short, right? Uh, so Acts chapter 8, we're going to start um, verse 26. This is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, so that, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go and join this chariot. So Philip ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? about whom, I asked, does this prophet say this? Is it about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went out on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through, and he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So this story is not unknown to most of us. The story is something that, some, that if we've been in the church for a while, we've, we've come across. We know that in the early church, persecution breaks out. Christians are scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Saul, who later becomes Paul, was hunting Christians and arresting them for proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. But despite all this, we see miracles of healing and new believers joining the church. We see that in this tumultuous time, there is an Ethiopian who comes to Jerusalem. And he's studying Isaiah 53. Philip comes alongside him and says, do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So Philip gets onto the chariot and he begins with the passage of, that the eunuch is reading and he explains to him who Jesus Christ is. We know at the end that he was baptized into faith But this is what study is. Study is us knowing the Word of God. Study means that we know how to interpret the scriptures that we are given. Philip was well studied, and so that's why God chose him and sent him to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. God sent him and said, You need to explain this to somebody else. Because Scripture sometimes is, it's hard to understand, right? We, we we read Scripture, we we sit there and we try, and we're we're in our devotionals, and we're, we're like reading this thing, and we're reading old the Old King James version, is like Shakespeare, and it feels like we need like a master's degree to decipher what we're reading. But that's what study is for. It's about interpretation. It's interpretation of scripture, and primarily, there are two areas of interpretation. I'm going to quickly go through this because I don't think this is that important, but it's good for you guys to know. Interpretation is split up into two categories. We have hermeneutics and exegesis. Hermeneutics is the principles that we use to interpret the word, and exegesis is the critical explanation or interpretation of specific verses and scripture. Okay, so these are two big theological terms. You don't need to know this for you to learn how to study. This is just if you come across some big scholar and they're talking about this, you're like, oh, I actually know what that is. Okay, so educate the church, right? The end goal for all of this is understanding. The end goal of interpretation is about understanding the word. It's about the knowledge. And and at the end of it, it's not just about knowledge, but it's about application study is a process of discovering the original and the intended meaning of a passage of scripture. It is to know truth. We're going to get back to Acts chapter 8. But first I'm going to help you guys kind of come to a place of how do we study? Okay. First, it's about context. We need to know the context. Context is king. Oftentimes, we will dive into scripture, and we focus into the, into the verse. And without seeing the fullness of the context, we need to ask some questions, right? So what are some of the questions that we should ask when we're reading our Bibles and we're taking time to study? So here's a list of questions that you could ask. Questions like, what is the genre or writing that we're studying? Is it poetry, or is it prose, or is it storytelling? We need to ask, what is happening in the world At large, what is happening in that particular place, in that particular time? Do we understand the culture? How did they they view God's people at the time? Are we in the middle of a story? Are there new characters that are being involved? Who wrote the book? Who Who is the intended audience when the passage was first written? Knowing the context is the key to be able to interpret anything. Like laughing at a joke is appropriate, right? But laughing at a joke during a funeral may not be as appropriate. So understanding how Jesus' word would have been interpreted by his original audience is important to apply the truth to our own lives. This would mean that we need to understand also the world that is around them. right? Second thing is that we need to know the language rules. We need to understand the rules of language. The Bible is an ancient text written in ancient language, and we are reading the translated and modernized version of it. So we need to understand the original language, the sentence structure, and the cultural understanding that gives us all the perspectives on how we start to apply it. The English language is also far more limited than other other languages sometimes, so sometimes meaning is lost. If we look at the Bible, we know the Bible was written over 1,500 years from Genesis to, to Revelations and written in three different languages in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And if you look at those three languages, each word has so much more meaning. Like, let's take the word shalom. We studied uh, Jehovah Shalom this past summer, right? And when, in general, we all know what shalom means. It means what? Peace. But peace does not boil down to the the depth of what shalom is. Shalom, in its meaning, yes, it's peace, but at the core of its word, but it also means wholeness, harmony, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. Shalom is a whole well-being of who you are. It's not just the idea of peace. And so we need to start looking into the, the, the structural and theological meaning of some of these words. So we need to start looking into the Greek and looking into uh, the Hebrew and looking into the Aramaic. I know some of you guys are looking at me like, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to do any of that. And I get it. And we'll get back to that. And third, we need to apply it. The purpose of study. Is to understand and to understand means that you have to apply it this is the place where meditation and study intersect where meditation is devotional and it's about the heart our feeling our emotions it's the snippets and the vignettes that we read and we need to have the understanding to, in order for us to be able to apply what we have read but study provides an objective framework for within which medica- meditation could actually function. Okay, without study, you don't have a framework for meditation to for you to actually do. In James one twenty five, James actually points out the silliness of understanding scripture without applying it. He says, "Do not merely listen to the word, and so to deceive yourself. Do what it says." Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into, perf- into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So if we look at the scriptures that we have read in Acts and the story of the Ethi- Ethiopian eunuch. As an example that we could apply, basic studying to understand, understanding the scripture. Of course, I'm not going to go as deep as, that as deep as we need. But I want to make this simple for us. Okay, I want all of us to get into a habit and a, and a place of actually studying the word. And so I'm going to take you very quickly through this. So if we we look at that story. How do, what do we know? about the cultural context. We know that the events that are happening in the early church, right? If we read earlier the earlier chapters in Acts, we know that the church is scattered. We know that in the beginning of Acts, he talks about how Saul is ravaging the church. So Acts chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, we know that Saul of Tarsus is actually hunting down Christians and are, are killing the Christians. But then if we read, Past this story, we find that in chapter 9, we find that Saul's conversion into Paul actually happens. So we actually then know that Paul actually has this incredible moment, and then he begins to to have this conversion, this moment with Jesus, and then becomes a follower of, of, of Jesus Christ. And in that, Paul actually writes most of the New Testament. He writes most of the epistles. So we, we, we know that, that, that context, but how do we find all those things? We find those things just by reading the book, right? We find those things just by looking ahead and looking behind the Scripture passage that we're studying. Oftentimes when we get drop ourselves into a portion of Scripture, we need to figure out what is the premise that surrounds all of these things. What is happening in, in, in the early church at that time? So we know the early church is being persecuted. The Roman government is threatened. And therefore Jerusalem is also threatened because Jerusalem is under the Roman, Roman government, government's leadership. But Jerusalem is also threatened not only because it's under the Roman government, it's also because the fact that the church is preaching something that is so different from what they, they're preaching. That they're talking about a Messiah that has come, but Jerusalem doesn't necessarily agree that Jesus is the Messiah. And so therefore, Paul, at the time named Saul, he was actually a Pharisee, right? A Pharisee, in the Bible, we, we know them as the bad guys. But reality, the Pharisees are actually the high priest of Jerusalem. They're the ones that uphold the law. They're the ones that preach the law. They're the ones that teach the Torah. They're the ones that everything that Jesus knows about, about God and all of those things that he learned, his the study through the Torah, he went up in the ranks just like, just like Saul did. And so sometimes we look at the Pharisees and "Oh, these guys are terrible. But the reality is that they're trying to do something. But what they're missing is that they're missing the, the main point, right? They're missing out on the fact that Jesus has come, the Messiah is here, that there is a new beginning. And so we, 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 we get that cultural context we also, in looking at this, we could, we could find that the church is scattered. Chapter 8, it actually talks about how the church is now in, in Judea, in all of Samaria. And so then we find Philip being scattered into Samaria. And he's, he's preaching in Samaria. He's working in Samaria. He is the missionary that is sent out to Samaria. And God calls him from that place and says, go into the desert. Right. We also see that this is an Ethiopian eunuch that is, is is there. He is the one of the the main the main guys for Queen Candace, right? He's a treasurer for for Ethiopia. We know that he is of high regards and he has made his trek down to Jerusalem to find out what Isaiah fifty three is actually talking about. So he has, this, he has this access to scripture, but he has no idea how to interpret this. So he makes his trek down to Jerusalem, but what happens in Jerusalem is that this eunuch is turned away. Jerusalem does not let him in because he's not a Jew, right? He's not allowed to go into the temple, and so he goes and he fails to learn what Isaiah 53 actually has to say. So he's heading back to Ethiopia, and so the Holy Spirit like, I need someone to explain this word for to him. And so, therefore, I'm going to send Philip to go and do that. Philip goes, comes alongside the ch- chariot, and he's like, "Do you understand what you're reading? Do you get what's happening here?" You see, Philip. It's one of the 12 disciples Jesus. He had the privilege to be able to walk alongside Jesus. He had the privilege to witness everything that Isaiah 53 should talk about. If you read Isaiah 53, you'll find that Isaiah 53 talks about the person of Jesus and how he's going to come and not only how he's going to come, but how he's going to die and what his purpose and the reason of why Jesus is here. Philip got to not only be able to read that passage, the prophecy of Isaiah that was written hundreds of years before Isaiah, before Jesus even came, he also got to witness the person of Jesus. And so out of his study of knowing what scripture has to say, he comes on board and explains this is what it's about. Believe me, that Philip was able to teach it in a way that brought faith into this Ethiopian man to a place where he he understood who Jesus was. That he said, "I want Jesus to be my personal Savior." And so, out of that, they saw a body of water. What they could do? They got baptized. They got baptized right away. This is the believer's baptism. This is an example of what we call as believers' baptism baptism. Believer's baptism is the, when you believe, if you say that Jesus is Lord of my life, you will be baptized. And that is the start of your journey with Jesus Christ. To be baptized means that I am made new in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for me. And therefore, I'm getting baptized so that the world may know that I am a new man, that I'm, I'm different, And so we see that this is where we apply the believer's baptism here at Five Stones. That when you believe, you get baptized. You don't need to be a certain Christian. You don't need to be serving. You don't need to have gone through classes. If you believe, we're going to baptize you. Where do we actually find all these things? One of the things I want to encourage you guys to get is a good Bible. Okay? Okay? I have many. I was going to bring a stack down here with me. Get a good study Bible, okay? Oftentimes, the study Bibles give you a lot of historical content, but they'll also give you a lot of um, content where, verse by verse, it helps you dissect uh, what it actually means and what it's, it's actually talking about. Sometimes we don't know, okay, where... John, how do you know that there's a reference to Isaiah 53? Because, well, it says right here, Right? He's reading the book of Isaiah, but my Bible, this little one that I have, this is what I call my preaching Bible. I need to get a new one because I can't see this anymore. <laughs> I have a middle column right here. This middle column allows me to see the verse and the chapter. And when it, you get to verse eight, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 31, there's a chapter 8, verse 31, and it actually says, reference Isaiah 53. Right so I know okay okay that 's where I look, go to isaiah 53 I read what isaiah 53 has to say, and it talks about it 's the prophecy of Jesus. It talks about the purpose and the reason for who Jesus is and so when we get into this place of study it 's a place of really coming into a place of understanding it 's coming into a place of what do these scriptures actually teach us, what is the premise around these things why why is why are the people and the characters in these stories doing the things that they're doing, right? Oftentimes when we read even some of the more poetic books like Psalms, like, uh, like Proverbs, like Songs of Solomon, those really get very, very uh, obscure. It, it, it's so metaphorical in, in, in its way that sometimes you're just like, I have no idea what this is talking about. That's where a good study Bible actually helps. Now, the other thing that I would recommend is to get yourself a good commentary. Okay, Commentaries are written so that we're able to, to, to kind of look into more of the meaning and the essence behind it. It actually helps us dig into the language. Okay, A great online free commentary, and it has a free app with it too, is Blue Letter Bible. Okay. Blue letter Bible allows you to actually click on a word. You literally could do this. You could click on a word and then when you click on that word, it actually gives you the Hebrew or it gives you the Greek, the original language that it's written in. And then it also gives you the meaning of what those words are. Okay. And then it has a list to a huge resource. This is completely free guys. Has a list of huge resource of different types of commentaries. I know it has a strong commentary on it. Has Matthew Henry's commentary on it. Uh, it has Guzik's commentary on it. Um, and then alongside of that, it also has a ton of sermons that you could actually listen to. Right, sermons that could help you come into a place of understanding. So there are so many resources for us to, to study. Now, one of the big questions is, John, I don't have time. I don't have time to actually put into this, I have a job, I have kids, I have hockey schedules that I have to manage, I have all these different things that I have to, to, to do. I just don't have time. I know that's the hardest part but try to be intentional. Even if it's, let me set aside 30 minutes a week, okay? 30 minutes a week for study. One of the, 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 the most encouraging ways of study is actually picking a, a short book, right? Pick Ephesians, pick James, uh, and just read it through, okay? Don't break it up. Read it through. It takes about 15 minutes to read it through. And one of, those things that, one of the things that you could do in your study is just read through that book every single day or every single week for a whole month. Start allowing the repetition of those words to start, start coming into a place of understanding. Right? Sometimes we'll read it and whatever. It's, it's like in one year, out the other. repetition actually allows us and helps us get to the place of really understanding right like if we teach little kids we constantly repeat the same thing right because when they when you repeat the same thing over and over again eventually they'll get it right we're no different in many ways we're still like little kids and so the more that you repeat something to yourself the more you're going to come into understanding. Actually, this was a, a practice that the Jewish did. They, they wrote scripture on their doorpost, right? And Jesus actually says, now write them on the doorpost of your mind. What do we write on the doorpost? It's the promises of God, right? You may not understand that promise right now, but if you see it often enough and you repeat it often enough, those promises become reality in your life, Amen. So take that time to, to, to go to that place of, I'm going to set my time intentionally for study. If you're not intentional about it, we're not going to get around to it, okay? We find time for doom scrolling. Take that time to go into the Word. Take that time to go into a place where you're intentional about your relationship with Jesus. Where you're intentional intentional about giving yourself good food for the soul. Right? Instead of taking all this this McDonald's and I love McDonald's by the way, don't I'm not no judgment on McDonald's people. I love Wendy's, I love AMW, I love all the fast foods, okay? <laughs> where do you think this comes from? But I want you guys to understand that these are the things where you're going to get your nutrients from. These are the things that are going to build you up. These are the things that are going to, to, to make you strong in your faith. That when you start and you begin to study, okay, again, there's a difference between meditation and study. Meditations are daily devotionals. What are the times that you set aside to to, to get those vignettes, get those snippets of the Bible, right? That you get an encouragement for the day. But study is, you're forming, this is the foundation, these are the walls, this is the fortitude of of everything that you're about. That when you start to study that. When you start doing your devotions and you have that background of study, all of a sudden your devotions become even more filled with life. Because now you have a context of what is this about and where, does this, what, 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 where this comes from. Now you have the context of when Jesus was referring to texts in the Old Testament that you know exactly where that comes from. Right? That's what studying does. It gives you a proficiency that allows you to stand up to some of the fears and anxieties that the world throws at us. That we remember the promises that Jesus has for us. That we, we sang a song about having no fear. Right? Isaiah 41. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. That's, that's the whole idea behind studying is that I could pull that up when I need it. I could remember the promises of God when I need it. I could go to that place of, I don't know what to do with myself right now. But God has given me something in where I am able to navigate those emotions. simply put it, as a church, we're called to study. We're called to study well. What we just went through allowed us to kind of see the simplicity of study. That doesn't actually take, you don't have to go very far to figure out how to, how to learn and pull these things out. But the reason why we need to do this is so that we're always ready to give an answer. In 1 Peter 3, 5, it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I want to help you guys focus on the gentleness and respect aspect. Oftentimes Christians don't have a gentleness when they go and preach the gospel. Oftentimes Christians don't respect who they're talking to. And they just want to throw the gospel into people's faces. But this is what it's about, to be prepared to give an answer. That if I fall sick again, that any one of you guys could come up here and preach. I don't have to call Alex. That you're able to come and say, you know what? I could teach in a place because I have understanding of what Scripture has to say. First Peter talks about how we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's part of the priesthood, is knowing what Scripture has to say. Knowing how to exegize what Scripture has to say. Knowing the hermeneutics around it, the principles around how we study scripture. One of the biggest things for hermeneutics is this, focus on Jesus. Okay? No matter what verse you talk or read or, or do, Old Testament, New Testament, no matter what it is, everything in the Bible points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. Okay? One of the biggest principles of hermeneutics, does the, how does this relate to Jesus? Okay. We need to know for ourselves what scripture has to say. This is foundational in our Christian walk. In fact, the last four topics that we've talked about are personal disciplines in which all Christians need to do. These These four things are the foundations in which we operate and where transformation happens. It forms our heart and forms how we interact with the world around us. But this is personal you have to do it for yourself the transformation that comes out of it will bring joy in your life i promise you and it will help navigate the various focuses in our culture and to make value judgments upon what what the world throws at us let's pray father god we thank you We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for just all that you're doing within five stones. And Lord, we just pray that as intimidating as study is, Lord, that you give us a heart that is after yours. So Father, as we come before you, we lift this discipline into your hands. Lord, may you be our motivator. May you be the answer. May you be the prize that we're looking at. So Lord, we ask that in this next week, in this next season, Lord, that you give us just the motivation and the purpose behind what we are doing here. So, Lord, we give you all glory. We give you all our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: I just love that message from John. You know, study is such a uh, it's a personal thing for me because I can tell you that you know, five or six years ago, I couldn't have spelt the word exegesis. Never mind, said it. And hermeneutics, I thought had something to do with blood. I don't know, but I can tell you that the Lord took me on a on a deep ride. You know, I I went to took some courses with Prairie Bible College, and it's it's such an amazing thing when you start digging into the Word, how it connects, how you start seeing all these pieces come together. But it's hard. And, and like the rest of you, I read passages and had no idea what they meant. And so you know what John said were the two things that I wrote down and to say to you guys as well. Get a study Bible. You don't, you don't have to try and figure it out. Let, let, let that process guide you. Let it explain where you are in the context, where you are in the culture. What are they referencing? Because at the end of the day, it's all about, we want to have understanding. It's not about us spending time frustrated. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to be frustrated. He doesn't want us to, to, you know, do something we don't enjoy. He wants us to find joy in him. And it's about bringing us closer to him. So get that study Bible, you know, blueletterbible.com. It's an amazing resource. Like John said, I mean, I use it basically for every sermon. It's actually probably gonna make my sermons a little harder because now that you guys have those tools, I'm gonna have to have to think of something original to say. But <clears throat> I'm gonna trust the Lord on that because He will bring understanding, and that's that's the last thing I just want to say to you guys. You know, put your Bible out in front of you. And before you dig in, before you start reading, just say, Lord, I need your understanding. The word it says in the Bible was designed to be confusing except for those that are seeking it's not meant to be that anyone can flip it over and just understand the knowledge of heaven it's it's a process that we go through you know if i said to you guys next week we're going to have a test a lot of us are going to be super concerned we're all going to get a little worried but if i say to you that it's on kindergarten math you're all probably gonna relax because I think we all know how to add our single-digit numbers, right? But we also remember being young and it's new and it's hard, right? But then those become the basic building blocks of what we just keep adding on to. So the Lord's not gonna drop you in and drop a master's in theology on you in a week. Don't, don't, don't stress about it. He's gonna take you through that process at your speed because he knows you. He knows how you study. He knows where you struggle. And he's going to walk you in that process with so much love and understanding that it's going to blow your mind. So Lord, we just thank you that more than a God of just love, you are a God of knowledge. Lord, you are a God of wisdom. And you are a God of insight. Lord, and there is no wisdom and no insight that is better than that that comes from heaven. And so, Lord, we just come before you acknowledging where we struggle for time, where we struggle for understanding, where we struggle for focus. And, Lord, we just ask you to move in us little bits every day, Lord, little pieces every day, baby steps, Lord, into walking, into running, Lord, until we are sprinting along that marathon that is our path in you, Lord. We are sprinting towards that everlasting life that comes only from you. Because, Lord, we don't, we don't want to come to heaven babies that only understand basics, Lord. We want to take this time as short as it is on earth, Lord. And we want to know you more. We want to know you deeper. Lord, we want to take that knowledge and spread it to somebody new. And Lord, the best way to do that is to, Lord, not to be something we've read once or something that we we saw once, but Lord, to be something that we know into the depths of our heart, Lord, because when we're passionate about something, Lord, people see that. And so, Lord, we, we seek to study so that we know more of you, so that we can be more passionate about you, Lord, so that it gives us comfort to go out and to speak to those that don't know anything about you yet, Lord. Or maybe they've got the wrong idea of who you are. They think you're a God of judgment. They think you're a a God of anger. And Lord, we need those verses to correct them. Lord, we need our testimonies to correct them. So Lord, just come into our lives each and every day. And Lord, bless us as we go ahead out in this week. Amen.